Rated boobies. Ah! <laughs> Scares me every time. I know it's coming too. <laughs> I know you put in the drops. <laughs> Welcome to X-rated movies. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher, and I'm the other half of your ghosting scream, Ryan Whedon. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, okay. That's, that's, <laughs> no, it's fine. Just edit it all out. It's that time of year. It's that time of year. Up is down. Left is right. <laughs> Everything is scary, spooky, kooky, ooky. Uh, I noticed uh, you decorated your apartment. I don't think a pile of corpses was called for, but um, well, they're very realistic. I'm thinking of getting a new couch, but with a pile of corpses, I feel like a little improv. I can make it like two and one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of balances out the room, to be honest. I mean, I like the smell of formaldehyde. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's a win-win, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure that one's dead yet. Oh, he will be. Okay. Well, Matt, speaking of uh, spooky, ooky, scary, airy things. Yes. We have a subject that we need to talk about. Okay. Friend of the pod, Jimmy Donahue, sent us a video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. He sent us this way back in June, I believe it was. So, a uh, quick aside to Facebook. The notifications that i get for our the x-rated facebook page are wildly inconsistent <laughs> because you told me about this and i i hopped on i was like i didn't see anything from anybody and i look on and it was like hey you like corresponded with him over mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. but it was months ago and i was like where was i during all this so yeah facebook get on it i didn't even see this i wanted to talk about it like as soon as i watched it uh, oh, I no, I immediately started forwarding it to people. Because it's very special. But just with our recording schedule and everything, it, it lined up with Guest Fest, and I didn't feel comfortable talking about this with guests around. Mm. This is not a video for mixed company, mm. uh, although I did consider making Eric Blood watch it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's an infomercial for a penis pump. I mean, it's an infomercial, but it could have only aired on like public access <laughs> at like 2 in the morning. <laughs> And it's definitely marketed to people who are watching public access at two in the morning. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the unemployables, alcoholics, undateables. I mean, if he had sent it and said, This is my favorite Tim and Eric sketch, I would have <laughs> totally believed that too. Because it's insane. It is very, very strange. <laughs> It's it's about the uh, the Venus too, mm-hmm. uh, in parentheses, goddess of self love, dot dot dot. For men, <laughs> it's this guy. He comes on. His name's Gary Griffin. Uh, he he's a writer for Penis Power Quarterly, <laughs> and uh, he, he's here to talk about this the the Venus too. Hello, my name is Gary Griffin. I'm a medical researcher and uh, an author. I've written eleven books on the subject of male sexuality, and you may have heard of some of them. One is called Penis Enlargement Methods, Fact and Fallacy. We have the Condom Encyclopedia. And one of the popular ones is called the Vacuum Pumper's Handbook. He says it's portable. Maybe for the 80s it was portable. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I feel like you're recording equipment <laughs> that you haul over <laughs> here. 
is more portable than this portable penis pump. Yeah, I'm not even sure. He says you can take it with you on a plane, and I'm not sure it would fit underneath the seat in front of you. And it might uh, exceed the three ounces of fluid, too, depending <laughs> yeah. on uh, when you last washed it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty big. Like, it's it's the size of, like, a large toolbox. <laughs> it's sorta, bigger than a briefcase, or, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's bulky. I don't know. If if I was a, a TSA agent <laughs> and, and I saw that coming through my line, I'd flag that. Yeah. And when you open it up, it does kind of look like a bomb. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just this, like, perfectly Legoed little contraption inside a box with weird tubes dials. and hoses and <laughs> dials and knobs yeah yeah uh and he also i think he even says it's whisper quiet but once they turn that thing on it sounds like a when you a, whisper <laughs> like this there's like a boat going by or something <laughs> it's so loud i don't know the point in the video that i really was like oh this is something special is when the guy's just very matter-of-factly talking about it and then he says now i'm going to demonstrate how this works and it cuts and he's naked and mm-hmm. he's just like you'll notice that i have disrobed here because this is how we demonstrate he's so like matter of fact about the whole thing like once he puts it on he's just like oh boy does that feel good oh boy does that feel good right off the bat like he, i get a red flag for an incel or whatever they were called back in the 80s <laughs> mm-hmm. but he actually just kind of seems like mellow and low-key like there's no sense of frustration in his voice he seems to be very methodical and scientific about the whole thing. Yeah, he's sort of like a male Dr. Ruth. Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So yeah, it just it's like a hard cut to him being naked. Which somebody's running that camera too, by the way. This isn't just like set up on a tripod and he hit play. Well, somebody is there. Did you see running a wedding that. ring? I didn't. I mean, he talks about like if you know if you and your wife have different sex drives, like this is a good alternative, right? But I I don't remember if I saw a wedding ring. I'll have to go back and rewatch the video. <laughs> well, the thing that's weird is that like he mentions all these like straight things, like like he's only talking to straight men about this thing. But then like after he demonstrates it, it shows like a video of a dude using it. <laughs> yeah, and like it's a little sensual. Yeah, and not when he's using it, but like the dude. You know, he's kind of got model-esque features. Like, yeah. Like, the guy who introduces it looks like a regular guy. Yeah. But then it cuts to a dude, like, wearing, like, you know, tight underwear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mix up to Huey Lewis in the news. On a waterbed. <laughs> on a waterbed. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed that, too. <laughs> oh, that was the first thing I noticed. I was like, Is that a waterbed? Yeah, and he's just like, man, I got, I got morning wood, and I'm going to use my Venus, too. It looks like, you know... Uh, uh, your standard issue penis enlarger pump right but there's sort of a uh a, 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 like a honeycomb in there i don't know what you want to call it, like a a ventilation system of some sort <laughs> yeah uh there's like just a a, a latex or i think they d- describe the fabric in there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that like you, there's like a little hose that you put in your mouth yeah. and you suck and blow and it like expands and contracts this little lung inside the tube uh-huh. so then you blow on it and it tightens it the, the little lung and mm-hmm. then you slide your penis in it and then you start fiddling with the knobs <laughs> yeah and it seems like well, that guy was using it. You do have to kind of keep the one tube in your mouth because you have to keep adjusting the uh, amount of tightness on there, which I thought was 
makes the whole process a little strange. Well, I think once you get the air out of there, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know. He kept using it, so. One thing, I was like, all these people are using it while standing up. Um, the, well, then, yeah, after that short video of the dude using it, then they're like, the producers thought it was important to show the, and I think they used the word anti-gravity uh, yes, properties. They, uh-huh, yeah. EBCO Research and 3S Corporation thought it is important to show you the three-inch stroke, hands-free operation, and the anti-gravity capability of Venus 2. That part is, like, the funniest part <laughs> to me. <laughs> it's just flying all over the place well because i don't know how to it, it it's like a piston <laughs> like going up and down yeah like it's full-on machinery here <laughs> it looks like a um automatic milking things you put on a cow sure it's, sure i think it's similar to that and yeah when it starts like bouncing on that guy <laughs> i mean Maybe maybe everyone's just a little camera shy, but I don't remember anyone getting like really hard. Yeah. For this thing, so may- maybe it was just a little performance anxiety. Sure. Or B, <laughs> that machine is deeply unerotic, <laughs> <laughs> and you cannot maintain an erection while trying to fuck this machine. Maybe if you put like a, a wig on it and some, <laughs> give it some little nice lipstick. eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Put a bow on it. Sure. <laughs> oh man, I'd love to see Gary Griffith like uh, on uh, like a dinner table, candle lit, little little wine, <laughs> and he's just got this <laughs> little toolbox with a wig and googly eyes. You haven't touched your soup, Venus. He, he p- puts lips around the 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 hole of the pump. Mm-hmm. The funny part to me is that like. Jimmy, when he sent this to us, said that the reason he came across this video was that somebody brought in this video to them, and it was Gary Griffith who was like, I'm selling this product, or, or I want you to know about this product, or something like that. And So he uh, must have included like a video cassette. That's how well. I'm picturing, yeah. 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 Which, I mean, that's, that takes some confidence. Yeah, that's pretty bold to just pass, like, that. those were like dick pics of the past. It was like... Here's me naked, getting off inside of a machine. Oh boy, does that feel good? Yeah, he never explicitly says that it's a paid advertisement by Venus Two, but you kind of get that impression. Yeah, I I kind of thought that Mr. Gary was like a shareholder in whatever company produced it or something like that. Yeah, maybe Penis Power Quarterly was just such a widely publicized publication that the advertisers really wanted to like capitalize on their you know popularity yeah yeah and they're like we want little product integration they're ready to grow yeah it's time to expand wow i think you nailed their their logo right there (laughs) anyway thank you jimmy yeah that was was good stuff i love i forwarded it to several people (laughs) i love weird shit like that it's uh it's good yeah i mean that's like for like found footage heads mm, like that's mm-hmm. just like primo stuff oh yeah but matt i mean 
as much as I could go on about the Venus 2 and its many mm, qualities, <laughs> that's not what we're here to talk about today. Yes. We are entering Schlocktoberfest. We only have three Mondays this month, so we have no time to spare. No. We got to zip through like a drag racing car. <laughs> yeah. Which brings us to today's movie, John Carpenter's Christine. Haunted cars, scary or not, go. Not, of course not. <laughs> I mean, in the grand like canon of murderous inanimate objects... <laughs> This is the best of those movies. Well, I don't. I haven't seen it in Fabric yet, uh, so you know we'll we'll debate that on a later date. But you know, there's like Deathbed, the bed that eats, mm-hmm. and then there's a later movie just called Deathbed. Rubber, of course. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, stuff like that, inanimate objects coming to life and killing people. Mm-hmm. But this one, this one was directed by a master, John Carpenter, Boy. the legend, Co- coming off his what I think is one of his greatest movies, The Thing he made yeah. just before this. Yeah, which the thing was a huge bomb. Which I don't understand. I don't understand either. So he kind of had to, like, you know, switch gears, so to speak. Oh, my God. Is this <laughs> is this going to be the podcast? <laughs> Bad jokes. <laughs> uh, but he kind of had to make a, a scrappier, more independent film yeah. after the thing. And that he did. I could see why he'd want to make this movie because the the effects all the effects in it are car based it's like one car yeah that you're really doing most of your effects on and mm-hmm. a gas station that you blow up but uh-huh. like that's really what you need your effects budget for and that's yeah it's kind of nice so like that's all you got to focus on you just need lots of car parts yeah i mean it's a what was it a 57 58 plymouth fury i think so um and you know it's a good looking car Sure. You know, fire engine red, mm-hmm. uh, shiny. The only one on the assembly line that that's color. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking, you know, for uh, the idea of it sticking out in the set that, you know, it's nice that, I mean, nothing else in that scene is red. No. Or at least not to the extent that the car is red. Mm-hmm. But I'd seen this movie, you know, a couple times before, but uh, most recently before this watch was uh, with Friends of the Pod, Devin Sheridan, and John Coons. Oh, okay. Devin and I were working our way through, like, the grand pantheon of Stephen King movies. We watched, like, 26 during one October, and we, we spent a Saturday knocking out some, and John Coons was there. And we watched some bad ones that day. We watched Creepshow, which was fine. Then we watched Sometimes They Come Back, which is also fine, but inconsequential. But the worst one that we watched was Dreamcatcher that day. Oh, I hate that movie. And which and it's like two and a half hours that long. It's so bad. So like Christine was the last movie of the night that we were watching, and we were all like a little fatigued after yeah. like so like fourth movie of the day. Oof. And it comes on, and it's just like it's, it's the assembly line, and it's showing like you know the back fin of the car, and how the light reflecting off of it kind of creates like white lines that are moving, and the background, of course, is moving, and you got like the upbeat rock and roll playing, and you know then it switches, and it's you know a shot of like uh, uh, like a foreman or an inspector in like the rearview mirror or the side mirror, yeah, and you still get like the red of the car in there. And John Coons goes, I can already tell this is the best movie of the night. <laughs> yeah, well, two weeks ago, you told me to watch a bad gay movie before watching this. Uh-huh. I did. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, I yeah, it was like, 
after watching that and then putting this on, it was already like, oh my God, I'm in capable hands. Thank <laughs> yes. you. Oh, this feels good. <laughs> and it's like, there's nothing fancy about those shots. Like, it's just a car on a, like, a conveyor belt or a... Uh, uh, it's a crane shot coming down on an assembly line. Yeah. That's but e- even then, like, there's just stationary shots of, like, the car moving down the assembly line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, But it's still, it just, it looks good. Yeah. Like, you're just, you're in it. You're, like, you're already with this movie. Yeah. Two minutes into it. Even though it's, like, bad to the bone is playing. Yeah, it's, like, it's a little on the nose, <laughs> but, hey, it's fine. I'm actually, I'm into this. Well, I'm glad that you watched a bad gay movie because, very subtly, but there are some gay undertones in this movie. Subtly? (laughs) Okay. When Arnie and Dennis, that first scene where they're like, Arnie, I was thinking. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. No, seriously. Now that we're going to be seniors, I figured it's about time that uh, that we got you laid. You know, like this year, huh? Huh? We need a girl to get laid. Well, what about Gail Justin, huh? Oh, Gail Justin yeah. Case? No, I, I don't like her mustache. Oh, fuck you, Arnie. I mean, what do you care if you get a little hair in your mouth, huh? This is the setup to a gay porn <laughs> that I've watched before. I just, like, the only line that's missing is, like, you know, well, maybe I can help you out. Maybe I'll loosen you up a little bit. And then it came back, too. Like, there's, like, that hospital scene that I was kind of like, their relationship. I don't, I don't know. Well, every time I watch the movie, the gay undertones become, like, more and more apparent. Yeah. And this time, I just, like, couldn't help but notice. So there's this beautiful blonde girl. I'm going to call her a girl because she's in high school still. Who's, like, throwing herself at Dennis. And he, like, it doesn't even register with him. No. And then she just disappears. She's just not in the movie anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. like I have a note with what happened to her. <laughs> but... Dennis does go for the brunette, mm-hmm. but in that case, it's almost because he's being like peer pressured into it. Yeah, like in the library scene when he goes to ask Lee out, she's the new girl in school. She's got the body of a hooker or a prostitute or something. This in the beginning, <laughs> in the library, he's walking past her, and like the blonde girl, like even like waves at him, and he just goes right on by, right by, uh, and goes and sits down. And it's like he asks her out, and she says no. And then he looks at his friends who, like, egg him on. And so it's just, like, every interaction that he has with Lee and, like, the blonde chick, it's always, like, society is pushing him to Mm. ask out the brunette. Because there's another scene when Arnie's being bullied. Yeah. Right before that, uh, Dennis gets wind of it. He's like, oh, it's Repperton or whatever. He's bullying Arnie in, in shop. Yeah. And it shows Dennis like walking to shop class. And then like the blonde girl's like on the way out there, like in, right. in, in the courtyard area. And she's like, hi, Dennis. He and he right just, he doesn't even like register with her. Yeah. He's in love with Arnie. Yeah. Because that's the reason he has his uh, career ending tackle. Because Arnie's making out with Lee mm-hmm. and he's distracted by that. Mm-hmm. Which understandably, if you're in love with Arnie and you see him and, th- and especially if they had like some sort of thing going on Mm -hmm. or at least he was hoping for something going on yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah and it you know it's played really well because like what i like about this movie is like you can take it at face value you can just say this is a movie about a killer car you don't have to do any other digging to enjoy it i feel but it's like the moment that you do start digging it's like suddenly there's like a lot of subtext to it because it's not just sexual frustration. Like, I think that Dennis is gay, but Arnie ne- isn't necessarily gay. Yeah, maybe not. Because he 
seems all about the ladies. He actually seems interested in women outside of societal pressure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, while he seems to care for Dennis, definitely not in the same way. Yeah. And that would explain why uh, Dennis is looking out for Arnie so much. Because, like, he's popular. He's a football player. Yeah. Why would he be paying attention to this nerd over here? Yeah. You know? Like, giving him a ride to school and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, he's got feelings. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Also, like, both of them kind of cute. Like, I was, I'm, I'm kind of there for it. Yeah. Arnie has chest hair. Does he? Yeah. I didn't notice. Yeah. Well, once he turns into the greaser and his <laughs> shirt's, like, unbuttoned down to here, I was like, huh, high schooler, chest hair. Well, when Dennis is laid up in, like, the infirmary, oh yeah, I was like, oh, man, he's got those nice broad shoulders, and it looks like they shaved his chest for <laughs> whatever reason. Yeah. Dennis is cute. Not Arnie? I'm not an Arnie man, Would I you? Guess. Would you not watch that porno? Well, yeah. Oh. But I'd be looking at Dennis. Oh, okay. <laughs> But on top of like, it, well, the car, Christine, a, it's named after a woman. Right. Arnie's all about that car. Oh, my God. He covets it. And, and Dennis is like, sick. Leave yeah, it over Dennis there. is like, it's not worth 50 bucks. Like, <laughs> just leave it. Yeah. He cares about it. But the car could represent sexual frustration in ways. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the car has a dual purpose or, or interpretation here. One is sexual frustration, but the other is uh, materialism. Okay. Capitalism, okay. if that helps you get on my side here. Well, no. See, I was uh, I was going to get there. But okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're actually making me like this a little more than I did before because I was I was kind of on the fence. Okay. I was hoping you'd convince me. Okay. And you're doing a good job. So okay. <laughs> continue. Well, I was just going to say because he gets really possessive over the car. Mm-hmm. He gets very protective over it, possessive. And then, of course, the, the bullies who do harm to the car... You know, they all end up dead. So it's like the people who cross his, you know, worldly possessions end up murdered. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of an argument that anti-capitalist types make that materialism leads to greed and that greed leads to unhealthy behavior. Mm, Okay. I can get behind that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my biggest thing was like, maybe it's just because I just watched it. But like sometimes Stephen King, like the scary element it doesn't work for me because sometimes it just feels like something evil is taking over this thing. But then, like, you do have to sort of say that, like, well, this is usually some sort of metaphor for something else. Like, the bad thing is just, like, it means something else. Like, in Extro, Tiny! the alien was symbolic of the broken home and the the alien presence of, you know, the stepfather and... You know, the the real father not being around. Right. I mean, like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, it also is like, I mean, that's such a fine line to walk. Sometimes I'm into it. Sometimes I'm not. But, like, it's hard when you're like, the car is haunted to, like, get me to want to make that leap sometimes, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they don't really dwell on that part of it, though. I know I did though. Oh, <laughs> like I was like, what are Christine's powers? She can like regenerate. She can cause heart attacks. What? Can... Th- no, Lee choked, and then the car just locked up. Like the choking happened independently. But then, what about that guy at the beginning who like lo- drops his like cigarette? But did he just have a or cigar into her? Was it a heart attack? I thought he suffocated. Oh, so so she can suck the air out of her. That seems very much inside the wheelhouse of a living car. Yeah. 
there's no real backstory to Christine. Like it's on the assembly line and it's haunted. Yeah, she was born bad. Bad, <laughs> bad to the bone. Yeah. <laughs> Where I feel like, you know, lesser movies would, would come up with some backstory that it was cursed. That no one's driven that car for 25 years. Yeah. Well, that was the other thing I was wondering. I was like, was she cursed? Like, I don't know. I think of like The Shining or something. And it's like, you know, the hotel was bad. Yeah. Or like Pet Cemetery, where it's like the ground went sour. Uh-huh. You know, like it's like it's just always like something bad happened. So, uh, I mean, I tried to look past that this time. Well, you know, this car, of course, sports cars of this variety are an outreach of man's hubris. Sure. Uh, so it, uh, this car was created out of greed and pride, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what it takes from the people who drive it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> but to me, I, I like that there's no backstory to the car. It's just like we know that it's evil. That's all we need to know. We don't need to bog it down with a backstory. And then I'm a big fan of just John Carpenter's directing style, especially in this time period. It's just very sturdy direction. Yeah. Like, I think Carpenter is, like, a good name because it's just, it's a craftsman <laughs> style of directing. I got to say, my favorite moment was when the gas station blew up yeah, and Christine's stuff. just driving away on fire. Oh, man, that looked good. It looks great. And then the, that's when, like, the synthy score, I feel like it's the only time it really comes in. Yeah, a little bit because mostly it's, like, the classic rock yeah. that the radio plays. But you, you like... You see her driving down the highway, and she's, like, on fire. And that, like, you know, creepy John Carpenter score, synth score comes in, and it's just like, this is what I paid for. Yeah. Like, I want to see, see more of that. I like how when the car is moving of its own volition when Arnie's not in it, mm-hmm. like, the lens flares on the headlights are crazy. Oh, yeah. You know, I used to, like, when, um, oh, shit, what's, what's his name? Uh... Super 8. J.J. Uh, Abrams? Yeah, when J.J. Abrams made that movie, I was like, oh, these are like Spielberg lens flares. It's like, mm, <laughs> I don't know. These kind of look like Carpenter lens flares now. Yeah, but I mean, Carpenter, I don't think, constantly used lens flares. Like, he used, like, he's the type of person, like, he kind of constrains himself. He's like, okay, this is a car movie. It's like, so we have headlights. We got to do lens flares. You know, we got to do this. We got to do that. But then, like, he doesn't try and jam every idea into a movie. Like, he confines himself to like a couple key things and having like the visual cue of the lens flare because later on when Arnie's driving the car and doing evil things in it it doesn't have the lens flare to the same oh, extent like okay. it's a visual cue that this is just the car mm. uh, I like that yeah I, li- I like that too because and it's just it's a little attention to detail you know you wouldn't necessarily notice it on first watch but it's something that, like, you know, on repeat viewings, you're like, oh, man, these massive lens flares. Yeah. Like, you start noticing it, and you start piecing it together a little bit more. Man, in the hands of a lesser director, this movie would suck. Oh, man, would it suck. <laughs> now, I've said for a long time that Carpenter's really good at taking a premise that on paper looks silly and breathing life into it. Mm-hmm. Like, if you ever saw Starman, that's my other, like, prime example with Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen. Jeff Bridges... No, play, I haven't, he, actually. He plays an alien that comes to Earth and assumes human form, but the human form, uh, like he, which he saw in a picture or something, is Karen Allen's deceased husband. Okay. And they have to, like, go on a road trip together. I don't remember quite why. And it's, like, along the way, like, she learns to love again and stuff like that. And, like, I don't want to produce this movie. <laughs> Yeah, and it's I'm like, holding on to my money. Thank you. It sounds so bad, but when you watch it, it's like 
oh, he's doing everything right. Mm -hmm. And like, you understand why this is a trope because when it's done right, it's actually really engaging. Yeah. 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 But little things like that. Yeah. The car on fire. I will never, ever get tired of the car regenerating itself. Oh, I loved that, yeah. And he's just running it in reverse, I'm assuming. Yeah. Like destroying it with hydraulics and then running it in reverse. Yeah, exactly. It looks it, great, though. It's so simple, and it's, it's only in the movie for like 45 seconds, but it's got to be the single most memorable part of the movie, at least to me. Yeah, that and the fire driving. Yeah, Those the fire are... driving's good. And that's what I mean earlier when I was saying like your special effects shots aren't that crazy Mm-mm. you know like he, he just took a car attached like some hydraulic piston to parts of it like the body of it and then like destroyed it yeah and then ran the film backwards yeah and you're done yeah you know and it's one of those effects that i don't think would ever actually get done again today you just cg it it would just it would look like a transformer sure so, like, to, the idea that there's this little time capsule for effects like this, because, yeah, it just looks so good. I mean, the red, of course, is pleasing to the eye, but, like, you know, having metallic or, like, red metal and chrome moving in unearthly ways is also just really pleasing to the eye. Yeah. I also really liked, I mean, maybe a distant third would be the scene where Christine uh, crushes the guy in the, in the oh, alley. Oh, yeah. That's pretty good, too. I'll give that. Well, because you're not expecting it. You're like, oh, he's in this little crevice here that the car can't fit into. She just goes And she just, yeah, (laughs) disregards that and crushes him. And you hear, you don't see anything. Like, there's no blood in this movie, I don't think. Oh, this is like the tamest horror movie. (laughs) Is it PG? Because it can't be any more than that. I think it was, because the language in this gets pretty rough. Oh, is it salty? I guess the owner. Is a little salty. Well, also, like, the bullies call him Cuntingham. Mm. So I think the language probably gave it an R rating. I mean, it is it is one of the least bloody horror movies yeah. I've ever seen. Like, I don't think there's any blood in it. Except for when Arnie gets impaled. Yeah. But, like, even him. then. Yeah. See, I've, I, and I've seen parts of this movie. Like, I've seen the ending before. Okay. I think I the first time I watched it, I started tuning in when the um, owner of the garage, like, dies in the front seat. Oh, okay. And I remember being like, okay. <laughs> This looks really stupid. Uh, and then watching it all the way through and like feeling the same way. Uh, but um, I don't know. I can appreciate it now. Maybe not on a horror movie level, but mm-hmm. definitely on a like on a movie making level, on like a craftsman level. Yeah. Well, I mean, all right. For me, horror movies rarely ever scare me. How easily scared are you by a movie? Depends. Yeah. Less and less these days. Okay. Because, like, I've never really been that scared. Like, sometimes it's, like, suspenseful. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember when I saw Scream 2 in theaters. Like, that was very suspenseful. Okay. But really, other than, like, The Descent and, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, some of the, like, the big, the heavy hitters, Mm -hmm. I don't ever really get scared by a horror movie. Yeah. To me, it's sort of just a director has an excuse to let their hair down. Like, try things that... A drama wouldn't let them try. Okay. You know, like even The Exorcist, I don't think scares me in a way, mm-hmm. but I still really like it. Yeah. Now, Christine is not as scary as, like, it's horror, but it's really more, I don't know if horror is quite the right word, but it is like a yeah. supernatural thriller of sorts. Yeah. In all honesty, it was probably just a cash grab because Stephen King was hot, hot, hot oh, yeah. at the time. And like, I read 
that this movie came out weeks after the book was published. Oh, really? Yeah, like okay. he'd already optioned it, and the the movie, like the whatever studio released it, was just like, let's let's greenlight this. Go, doesn't matter. Get well, it going. So this movie's from seventy nine, eighty three. Oh, was it that late? Because it was after the thing, which is eighty two. But yes, you're right. This was definitely Stephen King's heyday. Oh my God, they're just like anything he does. Yeah, let's make a movie out of it. The bullies in this movie, <laughs> like <laughs> they were not concerned about uh, age-appropriate actors. <laughs> the main one, Denny, I think his name is. is he looks like, older than I do. Yeah, he's forties. Yeah, thirties, forties. He's old. Like he's just he's built. He's got the mutton chops of like a grizzled prospector and but yeah there's just no way that he's like a 17 year old mm-mm, mm-mm. And uh, he starts a fight on the first day of school come on buddy yeah god i remember that scene being really tense when i saw this movie as like a kid like i don't know there was something about like when he pulls out the switchblade mm-hmm. that's just such a game changer like if you're in a fight with someone oh yeah uh, and he steps on his glasses, which as an adult who wears glasses, I find deeply offensive. <laughs> that part was upsetting to you. It really, uh, because like non-glasses wearing people don't understand what it's like when you don't have glasses. Mm-hmm. You're like crippled for a while. Okay, four eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can understand. That's pretty shitty. There's just that perfect logic in the story of it's like, okay, the bullies are introduced. We understand the concept of a bully. Mm-hmm. When Arnie's at the football game and he comes driving up and he's got that nice car and he's got the hot girl in his arms and the bullies see that, like we already like have that like logical step in our mind that like they're going to destroy the car. Like right. you, you don't have to be a movie maven <laughs> in order to like make that logical jump. Yeah. And so when the bullies come to destroy the car... It's such an, like a nice trope that it's like it was almost like a trap. Like this was supposed to happen. Like yeah. we, we needed somebody to destroy the car so that we could see its regenerative powers. Yeah. And the way the bullies are like integ- integrated so nicely into like the origin of these characters that by the time they're actually destroying the car, it's just like everything's already like. All, all the wheels are sinking up just nicely mm-hmm. in this story. It's also super satisfying to have them die. They're, they're the, pieces of shit. Yeah, they're the main ones. Besides Arnie, spoiler alert, they're the only ones who die. Well, the owner of the shop, which yeah. he didn't really do. And the dude at the beginning. but Yeah, but he had a heart attack or something. He dropped his cigar ash on the car mm-hmm. seat. Christine couldn't handle it. Yeah. So I was thinking for a while, I was like, is this about revenge? Is this like a revenge movie? I don't think that. But it is satisfying to see those bullies get their comeuppance. Right, because if it was revenge, like, Christine regenerated. Like, if it can regenerate, then why do you need to kill the bullies? Like, it's more of a vengeance rather than revenge. Yeah. But, I mean, that also makes it a little less scary. If Christine was killing innocent people, that might make it a little scarier. Well, we do get the illustration from one of my favorite horror movie tropes, Crazy Old Man. (laughs) Goddamn rolling went through hell and back with Christine. Your brother loves this car so much. Why is he selling it? Because he's stone cold dead, that's why. I had the same note. And like, 
He's uh he's a good crazy old man. Oh, he, Got, like, like the he back brace. Up. Yeah, he's wearing some crazy back brace. He's grizzled as all hell. <laughs> Uh, sure, you can take the car. Just get it off my hands. He also says what I think is the the line that like really kind of sums up the themes of this movie. Is like she had the smell of a brand new car. That's just about the finest smell in the world, except maybe for pussy. Because like that line comes up again later near the end of the movie. But it's like if we're thinking that that Christine is an extension of if a car, a big car, is a, a compensation for a tiny dick, mm-hmm. then the sexual frustration and also like the status symbol of like a hot sports car really play into like, you know, nothing smells better than a new car except for maybe pussy. Like Mm -hmm. that sums up, I feel the themes of the story. I like that. And that explains why uh, Dennis wasn't affected. Yeah. If Dennis is gay. I mean, and that does sort of explain why Dennis was never swept into the allure of Christine. If he's Mm -hmm. gay, then he'd be largely immune to it. Yeah. And even near the end when him and Lee are trying to team up to like destroy Christine and, you know, try and save Arnie. Lee is like kind of like hanging on Dennis. Like she's got his arm around him and, and like even like puts his her hand on his chest. Nothing. <laughs> he gives nothing back to no, her. No, he's not. So it's like unless like society is telling him like, oh, you need to be attracted to this woman. He doesn't instinctually become attracted to her. Yeah. that I mean, that could read also to an early 80s audience that he's just virtuous. Like, sure. he, he's not he's not interested in women because he's so worried about his friend. But, like, you know, put a gay man in there and they're like, he gay. Yeah. So, like, I like that it could read either way, depending on what you've been exposed to. <laughs> and that's what I was saying earlier. Like, if you want to take the movie just pure surface value, that it's just about a killer car, then that's fine. That's what the movie is. But it doesn't take that much digging into before, like, you get some good subtext out of it that I think is really well done. Like, they don't rub your face in it. Like, the Easter eggs or the breadcrumbs aren't, like, overbearing right. in any way. Yeah. Your Easter egg casserole doesn't have too many breadcrumbs right Mm -hmm. so if you were playing scrabble with your parents Mm -hmm. would you use the word fellatio if i had the letters on a triple word score yeah yeah they're not innocents they know that word (laughs) okay okay ask me if i was playing with my nephews Mm, how old are they 10 and 13 they know both of them the 13 year old does Let's text him. <laughs> I have his number. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I was like, that, that's a quandary that, yeah. that if I was playing, maybe not my parents. Like, they know the score. I think my grandparents. That's probably where it might that's get a little, little harder. Yeah. yeah. What if you were playing with a very uptight British woman while sipping tea? would be like, Maggie Smith, put your tea down because it's about to spill. <laughs> She's like, don't worry. I've got analingus coming right up. <laughs> So, yeah, with John Carpenter, it's just good, solid movie making. And especially from this era, I just, I don't know. I'm all about basically anything he made from Assault on Precinct 13 to uh, They Live. Mm -hmm. Everything in there I just think is worth watching. Yeah, he's good. Solid. Yeah. I wanted to share a story about uh, a scary car story, if I may. Yeah, please do may have mentioned this on another episode. My friend Ashley was uh, selling her car. She sold it on Craigslist. 
and some guy showed some interest in it. At the time, I didn't really understand, but she's like, can she asked me to come with her because she's a woman and, you know, she's just meeting with some stranger in a parking lot to come look at her car. So I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll come with you. Why not? Went, looked at the car. The guy ended up buying it, took the car away, didn't think about it again. Few months later, she gets a call from some, I think it was the Kirkland Police Department, saying that her car has been ticketed many times and it's going to be towed. And she's like, oh, I sold that car. They're like, well, who'd you sell it to? And so she had to give away all this information of like, he should have transferred over the deed, da da da, which he never did, apparently. But this car was also implicated in a crime. Oh. So uh, once like that whole ordeal about the tickets got sorted out, the police department contacted her and were like, can we speak to you? And uh, the detective came to our work. We were working at the same place at this time, showed her a photo and was like, was this the man that you sold this car to? Because it's uh, been implicated in a rape. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I don't know. My friend Ryan was also there, though, with the man. And so I had to come and like look at the photo, too. Mm -hmm. After it was over, because I wasn't able to tell for sure, like the photo probably was the guy, but I I couldn't tell. So you let a guilty man walk? Well, I wasn't sure it was him. The only shot we had was a blurry uh, convenience store footage photo from like a camera. And it was like a top down angle, which I did not see him as. I said it could have been. But anyway, the the lady left and she asked us a few questions about our job. And then she's like, all right, well, have a nice day. And then she walked out. I've never seen her again. But I definitely like as soon as she walked out, I was I heard that was my law and order moment. I was that guy who like, yeah, I don't know. I'll probably have another one now that I'm a bartender. To be honest, someone's going to come in and be like, just look familiar. I'll be like, I see a lot of faces in here. <laughs> You're just going to be moving stacks of paper from like one yeah. area behind the bar to another. And then they toss me a 20. I'm like, yeah, he looks familiar. <laughs> What about it? Comes in here every Monday. <laughs> His name's Jimmy Four Fingers because he gets four fingers of scotch. <laughs> Always tips. Leaves after that first drink. Says I'm going to go rape some lady. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it was a joke. <laughs> uh, well, all right. You were saying that Christine wasn't killing innocents, but when that old man, uh, when Dennis goes back to old man, he says that like, his brother owned the car. His uh, brother died in the car, but like the uh, daughter and the wife also committed suicide. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. we just don't see it on this in this but, movie. Yeah, th- yeah, that's very true. But uh, I think what that old man's story is supposed to illustrate is that that is the path that like possession over this car leads to. Yeah, like it starts out, yeah killing the bullies, but then it kills Darnell, and he didn't necessarily do anything wrong. Like he just sat in the car. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't his to sit in. I guess. Did you recognize that actor? I did. I, I'm so glad. I, uh, my next thing was like, we got to talk about this cast. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned the name Harry Dean Stanton yet. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's barely in the movie, but still, when I saw it, when I saw his name during that credit sequence in that font, uh-huh. I, I came a little bit. <laughs> You're a Harry head, I take it then? Harry? I just, I mean, I always love it when he's in a movie. He's great. And then that font. Like the movie starts with like you know that that turn key and room room and it just shows the V of Christine turn key yeah ignition mm-hmm. wow you the drove acceleratrix for many years. <laughs> the accelerometer and the deceleratrix <laughs> revulcanize my tires um but uh 
like I don't know that font is so good it's like what Stranger Things wants to be oh sure sure it just looks really good and like his name in that font looks great like, I don't know I got I, I just got it really excited I mean Harry Dean Stanton isn't what I would call like the most versatile of actors he's got one mode kind of but it's a good mode. Yeah. It, it's a good, sturdy mode. Because, like, he comes on and he's asking Arnie, you know, about the car. He's like, I heard your car was total. I heard someone defecated on the dashboard. I understand uh, one of the perpetrators uh, defecated on the dashboard. Which we don't see, thankfully. I can do without the, the, the <laughs> shitty dashboard. And Arnie's trying to, like, you know, brush him off a little bit. Being like, oh, yeah, you can see where... I had to like fill in the puncture marks here and here, and he goes, mm, I don't see anything. There's just a good no-nonsense aura about Harry Dean Stanton that he kind of brings with, like even in Wild at Heart, like he's not really he's grounded. Doing, yeah, he's grounded. He's not doing anything crazy. He's not, you know, the one-legged woman who gets off, <laughs> you know, after murdering and stuff uh-huh. like that. Like, he seems like he could be from our world. And, like, a lot of times in movies, I don't like that. I feel like it disrupts the illusion. Yeah. But with Harry Dean Stanton, I don't know. I feel like he's our proxy. Like, he sees through the bullshit, and he's he's there. He's just always grounded. He's, yeah. And I, I like that about him. He always feels real and of the earth. Mm-hmm. His face is always so, like, weathered. He's got that hangdog look. Mm-hmm. And that makes it feel real somehow. Yeah. Okay, so he's in the movie. That uh, person we mentioned earlier, the owner of the garage... Robert Prosky, who I think, uh, well, we all know from Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Right, right? of course. <laughs> He's like the studio exec that's having a meeting with Robin Williams when he has to be two places at once. Yep. But he's in other things yeah. too. Broadcast news, uh, most notably. Yes, yeah. of course, of course. Which is one where I was like, oh, duh. Yeah, that's of course that's where I know him from. But I mean, if there was a part that he was born to play, it's gotta be the grizzled old surly garage <sighs> owner. The drunk, yeah, he's just like he the, sinks his teeth into the, this. The chew of tobacco just seems to be dripping down his mouth. <laughs> and no matter how you answer anything he says, it's <laughs> the wrong way. Yeah, he's got a real Robert Loja quality to him here. <laughs> he's great. He's he, he's just hamming it up, and he is. It's it's the sort of character acting that I just I feel it was wanting in today's movies. Oh yeah. You can tell that he's probably like anti-Semitic, but he just like keeps it in because well, yeah, the kid's going to be paying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's, that's not like the, expressed at all the in the movie. Almighty but like, dollar definitely supersedes anything else because he's like, "There's no smoking in here," and Dennis is like, "Well, all those guys are smoking." <laughs> yeah, wise ass. <laughs> you want to say another thing? I'll kick you for an hour right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't say the right thing around that guy. No, love it. Yeah, <laughs> just no bullshit from that guy. No, Papa. You can't polish a turret. I feel like this movie has a lot in common with Carrie mm. because I feel like the mother in here could have been played OTT a la uh, Piper Laurie mm. in Carrie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just decided to like not do that. Mm-hmm. But they really easily could have vilified the parents even more. Like they were uptight and, you know, way too conservative. And, like, you know, I respect wanting to rebel against that. In a way, this is like the male Carrie. Yeah, a little bit. Repressed sexuality of sorts. You know, Carrie, Yeah. you know, she gets her period in the first scene. She doesn't know what's happening to her. She thinks she's dying. Or, like, 
male teenage issues of like being bullied and yeah. like well the way that they're the, the way yeah, yeah i was gonna say like because carrie's bullied, bullied yeah right away for sure but you know and like sexual inadequacy is like a thing for men and like you know if you're in the closet that's also like a fear so like there's uh i could see i could see making an argument from that yeah i'm a little drunk now so i'm not gonna try <laughs> but um maybe another day but yeah i remember a long time ago way, way in the long ago before the podcast, you said that you didn't like Stephen King stories because they always have the ending of, uh, and you know, and it was doomed to be that way. Yeah. And, uh, cause I remember you said that. And then like a week later I watched children of the corn and that's exactly what happens in <laughs> children of the corn. I was like, wow, Ryan might be right for once in his miserable life. <laughs> well, cause like in the shining, that's definitely true. Yeah. And it's also true with Christine, but because I don't feel like we get a huge backstory or that it's like something that really needs to be resolved. Like, spoiler alert, the car's crushed into a cube and it twitches at the it end. It twitches ever so slightly, insinuating that it's not really dead. Yeah. But it's perfectly fine for the movie to end right there. It totally, yeah. We don't really care if it comes back oh or my, not. Like really it's enticing, don't. but like it's not like The Shining, which even when we were on the Deadbeats and we were talking about The Shining, I was like, I always hate that ending. Mm-hmm. I hate the photograph close up of like New Year's nineteen thirty one or whatever it was. Yeah, like I I hate that. I think it ruins most of the movie. Yeah, and I don't know. For here, it doesn't bother me, but Stephen King does kind of cop out on his endings a little bit. Well, and he's. Now, with, like, the Dark Tower series, there's, like, this unified badness, Mm -hmm. you know, now that we've got going on, which I hate so much, where it's, like, there's just, it's, like, the stand all over again, where it's, like, good versus evil, and Stephen King works best when he uses that universal evilness to be representative of something else. Yeah. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, and I guess that's what he's always doing, but when it doesn't work, it really falters. When it does work, it's good. Like, it's kind of... I'm on the fence with it. And, like, The Shining is a good example that I think that Stanley Kubrick made better. But, like, I don't know. I kind of go back and forth on Stephen King. I haven't read one of his books in a long, long time, so I can't actually speak to, like, the mechanics of his writing or, like, the, the, the uh, you know, the poetry of his prose or anything like that. I mean, and especially at this point, he was probably just writing a book to be optioned into a movie, like make that money. You know, I'm not going to fault a guy for that. I think he was also doing a lot of cocaine at that point. Well, yeah, because like later on, like Misery is about his cocaine addiction and and things like that. But this is, I think, a very good example. Like when we were talking with uh, the Suspense is Killing Us guys, how, you know, Brian De Palma, you know, heard the quote that your movie has to be about something, but it really has to be about something else. And De Palma was like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. And I feel like this is an excellent example of like, it does. This is the opposite. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like this is, you know, about a killer car, but it's actually about many other things. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, sexual frustration, the male experience of like being bullied. uh, Maybe capitalism. Maybe capitalism. The evils of it. You know, I mean, I I would definitely say that there's a a anti-materialistic theme running through the movie. I mean, Stephen King, I don't know exactly how he lives, but I don't think he lives super lavishly. Like, he still lives in, like, small-town Maine, you know? Well, also, like, Stephen King, for, you know, Dreamcatcher, he sold the rights for a dollar because he does have, like, a strong theory in, like, supporting other artists. Like, he's very quick to praise, 
other things that he thinks are are great. Like he saw Evil Dead, like an early showing of Evil Dead, mm-hmm. and like wrote to Sam Raimi's like. I think this is the best horror movie in 20 years or since the exorcist or whatever he said. And he's like, and you can use that quote on the poster. Uh And they did. Oh, look at that. Uh, Yeah. And like Clive Barker, he was a big supporter of Clive Barker from like really early on. Oh, I like that. So he, he's like a big proponent of like a creative horror community. Mm -hmm. And so I like that about him too. And so like the idea that like he'll sell the rights to like one of his books for like a dollar if he, you know, feels like the the creative team behind it can do it justice like yeah. i like that about him too yeah and he's sassy on twitter oh yeah uh so yeah christine like this is not a heavyweight movie like this is like i like it a lot because it's got that those like pillars of just like firm sturdy filmmaking with memorable scenes memorable scenes the acting's pretty good in it. Like, it's not terrible, especially by horror movie standards. It's fucking oh, yeah. plus. Never, never took me out at one. Uh, I think the boys are cute. And uh, and I just, I think it just looks good. Like, he's got that, like, Howard Hawks mentality of, like, five good scenes and no bad ones. Like, I think he really gets that and, and makes that into his movie. <laughs> It's one that I feel is an underappreciated uh, Carpenter, which okay. is why I chose it for this. Well, appreciation added. <laughs> uh, so, I think that takes us to next week. Earlier, uh, you mentioned another great horror writer by the name of Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. Fellow gay. Yeah. Love him. Read a lot of his work as, uh, as a kid. He, and- I think he's got some issues. Oh, yeah. But I think I want to do a Clive Barker movie that I don't think you've seen. I think you mentioned never seeing it. Can you guess? Nightbreed? No. Uh, Lords of Illusion? No. Uh, I, I can only other think Oh, of- my God. It's Candyman. It's Candyman, Matt. Oh. We're doing Candyman. No, I've seen Candyman. It's oh. been a long, long time, though. Okay, 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 okay. okay. Easily 10 years. Oh, my God. I can't believe I haven't mentioned this yet. But all week long, or the last two weeks, ever since you mentioned Christine, I've had the fucking Susie and the Banshee song Christine stuck in my head. And now I'm going to have fucking Candyman stuck in my head for a week, which is also a Susie and the Banshee song. So it's on theme. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I love Candyman so much, and I've been wanting to do it. Basically since day one, starring Virginia Madsen, who was in 1985, which we loved, the gay movie about coming out. Oh, what? That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Tony Todd is the Candyman. I know. I love it. 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 Score by Philip Glass. I mean, we got oh, lots. Oh, fuck. That's right. Oh, so many good things. So many good things. I forgot about that. Bees. <laughs> Beads. <laughs> Matt's not on board. Uh... <laughs> Anyway, uh, can't wait. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, cool, cool, cool. Candyman. Candyman. With our continuing on our Susie and the Banshee's Locktoberfest, apparently. <laughs> uh, Matt, let's plug our junk and get the fuck out of here. Follow us on Twitter at X-Rated Movies. Follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. We also have an email, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Send us your penis pump videos there. Yeah, otherwise I'll miss them, apparently. <laughs> 
Thanks a lot, Facebook. Yeah. Um, we also would love it if you just left us some love on uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Overcast, wherever you listen to, listen to podcasts. We love that. It's always and good to get feedback. Yes, we love feedback. It's the only way that we know that you're not a bot. You can go to our website, xratedmovies.com. It's got everything we've done there, including things that you can't get from those lovely places that give out our podcast Oof, for free. 130 episodes all on that website, plus bonus content. Yeah. You'll be listening for a while. I always think about that sometimes. I'm like, how many hours of like podcasts have we made? When I when I look at our like season, like our episode guide, I'm like, wow. Yeah. If you just sat and listened to our podcast nonstop, all day, every day, I think you'd have like a full week of content. Wow. At this point, I'm not a mathematician. Anyway, thank you for listening, and special shout out to Jimmy Donahue. We love you. Thank you for your video. Uh, yeah. If you got any more uh, hidden gems like that, send them our way. Yeah, we'll pass those along. So. All right, well, until next week, keep reaching for that rainbow. Rainbow.